Put your top five. Who's your top five? Slick Rick, Kane, Rakim, Karis One, and Biggie is my fifth man, and Jay-Z is my sixth man. My top five is Jay, Nas, Scarface. Scarface, because everybody got their shit from Scarface. Rakim. 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 And then I might let Biggie get in there. My top five. Ice Ice tea. Ice tea. Ice motherfucking tea. Hell no. Six in the morning, police at my door. Fresh Shadita squeaking across the bathroom. My sixth man is LL Cool J. Before the show. Before the show. Let me tell you something. 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 Well, let me tell you something. Well, let me tell you something. 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 Let me tell you something, man. And welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something, the podcast series in which two fans of professional wrestling discuss an aspect, a curio, an individual, a state of mind within the world of pro wrestling, and take it in turns, making opinions held, disputing other opinions, until hopefully finding some sort of settled ground in the middle, in the Overton window of professional wrestling discourse. I'm your co-host Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is the Brody King to my Malachi Black, the Dick to my Barry, the lack of direction and content to a, my Cody Rhodes promo, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how are you doing today, mate? I'm good, I'm good. I wondered where you were going with that. Not unlike the Cody promo. Well, Simon, you may be wondering where the Dick to my Barry thing came from. That was a High Fidelity reference, the 2000 film version, with Jack Black and the other guy that didn't have a career like Jack Black. Because what we're talking about in this episode is making recommendations, claiming some sort of great expertise. I suppose you could almost argue this is a whole episode of Mount Rushmore's in many ways. Because what what triggered this, actually, was a conversation we had on Twitter with one of our listeners, where... Was it, uh, they were saying about where they would, just a second, I'm going to see if I can find the tweet, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, on Twitter, one of our listeners is saying, um, if I'm going to show a date some wrestling matches, which she asked to watch, by the way, not something I'd come up with on my own, what should I show her? Hit me with the suggestions, and you made a suggestion, and I made a suggestion, and a few other people on the Twitters made a suge- made some suggestions. And one of the things that was interesting, I think what you did with yours initially, I don't know if you want to tell everyone what your recommendation was. Do you remember what it was? I do not. Yours was Punk versus Seba, MITB 2011. <laughs> yes. The great John Seba. <laughs> well, that wasn't his uh, non union Mexican equivalent, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's John Senor. I thought it was Juan Cena. Literally, do you remember the. 
Yes. Anyway. And so the one that I made, and I'll save it for later, but uh, it was interesting because I think what your first instincts was was to say what was like your favourite wrestling match. But I think what you got to do is do what I did and actually think for a second. Because... <laughs> Go on! <laughs> because you've got to... It's, it's one of those weird things. I'll tell you why it was, I think, as well, that made me go on that thought. is because I've got, I've got a couple of nieces and uh, cousins, daughters and stuff. And I always would hope that maybe one of the things I could do would be the uncle that can help them, like, talk to them about films and music and stuff that maybe the parents wouldn't, they wouldn't want to talk to their parents about. So I guess, like, the deluded belief that I'm still hip and with it because I like one Olivia Rodrigo song. But... <laughs> Actually, no, that's not fair. I like I like three Olivia Rodrigo songs. But apparently, us millennials, I don't know if it's just the old end of the millennial spectrum, bloody love Olivia Rodrigo. So that might turn her own people against her, possibly. So this is really awkward now, because I have no idea who that is. My goodness, man. You are so not with it, Simon. No, I'm cool. I'm fine with that. Did you used to be with it? No, not even when I should have been. And then when they changed what it was... I was further away. <laughs> <laughs> but I was think At first I was like, oh, I'll get them in... If I if they ask me, I'll give them loads of cool stuff that I'm into. And then you've got to realise over time... And it's funny because this is something that... This is like the great realisation that John Cusack's character has at the end of High Fidelity. Is that you have to try and work out what your recommendations are to help the other person find and cultivate their own likes and dislikes not trying to dictate your taste upon them because i joke with uh, my cousin that his son is getting of an age where in a couple of years time he's going to be driving him to something some sporting event or something along those lines and an oasis song will come on the radio and he'll turn it up and go now son this is music It's weird when you think, like, Nebworth would have been, like, 20-plus years ago as well. Like, we're already there. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. There's, like, as long a gap between that as the Beatles was to them, you know? (laughs) Yeah. As frightening as that is to think about. So then it becomes that thing of, like, trying to help someone else cultivate their own feelings and, and help them understand it. And so it's, like, taking your knowledge and then trying to apply it through empathy for someone else... And try to help them see, like, give them the basics and then allow them to explore further. And they say, oh, I like this and I didn't like that. And you can go, well, if you like this, then we can bring you down these avenues. If you don't like that, then I won't bother recommending you all these things, you know? Yeah. Like, if they didn't like the first ladder match you gave them, don't then give them one of the random TLC matches to watch (laughs) next. Because you're going, no, you're wrong! And I'm going to prove it to you! And so with that in mind, we decided that what we do for this one, and hopefully if this is successful, we'll continue to do these as a little series, is a number of topics for wrestling fan, uh, potential wrestling fans to get into different aspects of wrestling. Yes. And so we've both made our lists. We've got five or six topics we're going to cover, depending on how long this episode goes for. So what we're going to start off with is just an introduction to wrestling then. To give someone who just wants to say, is openly curious and says they would like to give wrestling a go. Say someone at work, like say a 22 year old that never had Sky TV or anything that works at your office. Comes up to you and says, I know you're into wrestling. My younger brother's into wrestling or something like that. And uh, 
I've always been curious myself. I never got, I never had Sky, so I never got to really watch it. But I always thought I might like it. What's something you would recommend to get me started on maybe going down that path? Like, you know, if you're going to give someone, get someone into jazz, I would always say listen to like Miles Davis's Kind of Blue. If you're going to get into post-rock, I would always recommend like a Sigur Ross album, like Agatis Bierjean. All these different things that I'm into. If you want to learn about French cinema from the 1960s, like French New Wave, I would start them off with Truffaut's 400 Blows. Not, I guess, ways of easing them in. And that's kind of our thought processes here. Yeah. So just starting off with that one. If you had to give a person one match to introduce wrestling to them. Now, I've got my lists here. I've gone for three honourable mentions and my final one. Have you got a similar thing, Simon, or have you just got one match? Uh, I've got a few honourable mentions. Okay, well, let's hit me with those then. But I need first a point of clarification. Okay. So when they're watching this, do they see the pre-match package? I was going to say, I will allow either a pre-match package, if there is one that you know of that you like, or maybe one angle in the build-up to it. Okay, cool. So with that in mind, I think I'm covered then. That's good. Now, long-time listeners of the podcast will know we've had the art versus artist discussion quite a lot. And the reason I say this is this is something I've actually sort of used as an example of like trying to get someone into wrestling. Not get someone into wrestling, but show someone what wrestling is that isn't from the main WWE stream. I'm going to go for a match we have already talked about in the past between David Starr and Jordan Devlin. Oh, wow. Okay. You're going to start with these two. Well, I'm just saying that in terms of... I didn't know this whole story at all going in. So I, I came with someone who didn't know what their path, their path was in, uh, in, our, in over-the-top wrestling. But in that one pre-match package, I knew Anne was already invested. And then the in-ring content was really good at like conveying that story going forward. I've tried to keep it like with like stories that are either easy to grasp or well told in the ring. And I think... That does tick those boxes. However, obviously, you then got to deal with, will that person be comfortable separating the art from the artist? So it's something I've got on my list, but it has an asterisk against it. So is that like an honourable mention? Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, I've got three honourable mentions for this. How many have you got? I have four. I'll give one of mine then. I have gone almost all WWE, WWF with my starting point because I feel like give them the most mainstream, palatable presentation, production, and if they've heard of anything, they've heard of WWF, WWE. Yeah, okay, I understand the logic there. You know, it's like trying to get them into like a, you know, an underground punk band that only ever sold 10,000 albums to get them into punk. Maybe it is best to start off with like the Sex Pistols or the Clash. Or if you're teaching someone poker and you start with like Stud or Draw Wild or something like that. It's Texas Hold'em. That's what people play. But with all that in consideration, I will give my first, my only non-WWE suggestion. And the reason I've gone for it is because it packs so much story in. And I am going to include their one promo off that they had before the match that got everyone involved because basically with the promo and a match they told their whole story that hadn't ever really been told it's like the, the implication is that it's a story of 10 15 20 years of history but really it wasn't even known and they convey it through these two through the promo and then the match 
and that is the recent CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston match. As you were, like, you know, laying uh, your groundwork there, I did have a feeling you'd go for that. Okay, yeah, I get that. I get that. Because the match is short enough. Because I don't think you want to go super long. And that match is like 12 minutes on a show that had a lot of matches that could have done with being 12 minutes. Sorry, the child in me is immediately thinking of the Family Guy uh, joke where Stewie's pretending to be like a high schooler. And like, oh, yeah, well, I have got a baby penis. I'm like, oh, well, I don't want a big penis anyway. They're messy. (laughs) Okay, but that's not where I'm going with this analogy. But no, you're sort of right. Well, it sort of links because you don't want to go too deep, basically. But it does have a depth to it. But they were able to show everyone where that depth came from in one promo off. Yes. And as I say, the match is short to the point, looks brutal, gives you surprises, gives you two compelling characters... And it plays up maybe you someone who's expecting more of a traditional good guy, bad guy narrative, which is usually what's at play with these other choices that I've made. Or at least two of these other choices that I've made. That is the complexity that wrestling might offer in the modern context, especially if they're going to get into modern wrestling, because this is the only one. The, the next nearest one in time is 2004, is the most recent one after this one that I'm making as a potential choice. Okay. But it's also an honourable mention. So, yeah. you know. If they insisted on something from last year, then that will probably be the one I'd go for. Fair enough. Okay. So if they're like, oh, I don't want any of that, like, bright neon, Hulk Hogan-y malarkey. But we've got that for a later recommendation. Hey. Now, obviously, you mentioned, like, good guy, bad guy there. And it, that, I'm going to use that to segue to one of my other honourable mentions. Because I really, like, I try to, I try to have a good blend. I, I sort of went the other way. Because I'm like, well... Because I think a lot of people, when they think wrestling, think WWE. And maybe that's what puts a lot of people off. They think they know what wrestling is because they've seen the most popular version on it. They think all burgers are like the Big Mac, which isn't true. So I went for the... I cannot remember what number Wrestle Kingdom now. But I went for Kosa Ibushi versus Jay White in the Tokyo Dome. Wow. A 42-minute match in front of a silent Tokyo Dome. Yes, it's very different. It is very different. They'll have to rely a lot on listening to the commentators to explain the history behind everything. Yes. I mean, it's two well-defined characters, I'll give you that much. It's a big ask. I I, I do respect time-wise it is a big ask, but you've hit the nail on the head as to why I've picked it. Like I said in my previous, when I mentioned my previous pick, I've tried to pick things where it's very easy to pick up who they are, what they are, and do they convey that in the flow of the match? And that, again, for this match, ticks those boxes. Okay. So I'm going to go for my next one. I'm actually I'm going to go in a chronological order, reverse chronological order, because my final recommendation, my actual recommendation you is... bloody love lists, one. don't you? <laughs> I suppose so. I like to think I don't, because I don't think you can truly quantify art. I mean, as I say, I mark these things, I mark films and TV shows on on my Instagram feed, but I also am mocking the concept of marking them whilst I'm doing it. And, you know, the whole five-star thing was about us ridiculing the notion of five-star matches whilst we were talking about them. Yes, which we've uh, alluded to in the past. We've not more than, al- we've more than alluded to it. So. I was trying to be delicate. <laughs> so I think some of the great stories in wrestling are David versus Goliath matches. And for that reason, I am going to go with maybe the best WWE David versus Goliath match 
ever that has an ending that I like and has well-defined characters that I think are easy to understand and doesn't put a foot wrong, really, in the whole thing. And that is Brock Lesnar versus Eddie Guerrero at No Way Out 2004. That's a really good shout, that. I like that. I like that a lot. The Eddie Guerrero character is so fun and, and the charisma... And Brock Lesnar's maybe the best big man ever. And just to look at him would, you know, you can't take... Like, I saw him from the back row of a Wembley arena. And I was in awe of him. I was in awe of what I could see of him in the flesh. And so it's a simplistic story to tell. And it's just such wonderful images. And you even get a, a run-in as well with Goldberg to make things a bit more fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a bit of fun interaction. So you get an angle within the match as well. So that was my uh, that was my second honourable mention of three. Now to your third honourable mention of four. Two of my honourable mentions that are left involve both the competitors in this match. But I'm going to go the Lesnar way. I'm going to go Royal Rumble, Triple Threat, Lesnar, Cena, Rollins. Okay, yeah. That's that's definitely more uh, applicable to the high spot oriented nature of pro wrestling nowadays. Yes, it's finisher spam and everything. It is fast. It's very fast paced, fun uh, as a match. Characters are still clearly defined. You've got the big unstoppable monster, the virtuous like big ma- like tough guy trying to usurp him, and the sniveling little wretch who is like uh, flying all over the shop. Yeah, the opportunistic guy trying to escape from people's clutches. Doesn't John Cena hit Lesnar with like five AAs in a row in this match? It's it, There are some in a row. I cannot remember the exact number. Because every time that person watches a subsequent John Cena match, they're going to be confused as hell. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I take that on board. But like I say, it's just smash mouth. Like, wow, look at this. This is fun. This isn't rest holds and taunts. This is just people like hitting each other again and again and again. Yeah. I'm curious that you're going with the triple threat over the Cena Lesnar match from Extreme Rules 2012. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, well, that could fit into a different category. Perhaps. Uh, perhaps. Sort of later on. Perhaps. So, my th- third honorable mention, my third and last honorable mention. I'm just going for the pure iconography, and if they're going to have heard of anyone, they'll have heard of these two. I'm going with Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus The Rock at WrestleMania 18. I nearly put that down. I thought I don't. I don't know if I thought you would do it, or thought Hulk keep the powder dry on it. But it was on. My, it was going to go onto my list, but I stopped at the last second. It's weird because you're seeing the alternative Hogan that maybe people don't know of, the Hollywood Hogan, but it's the Hollywood Hogan turning into the yellow Hogan and doing their acts. Yeah. And they would they would be confused as Hogan coming into this as the bad guy. You go explain to them, actually, you know, if you give them one thing like, oh, Hogan was actually a bad guy. I don't know if you'd need an angle. You could show them do the promo, but I think I would just show the match, really. I don't think you need any kind of angle there. And Nor do I really think you need it for the Lesnar or Guerrero. There's probably, they probably did a good hype video package for it. I can't remember. I mean, I guess you yeah. could give them Brock Lesnar dancing to a mariachi band. Who doesn't <laughs> But, just being uh, an arsehole. But yeah, just the wrestling at its most pantomimic, over-the-top, campy, Hogan, Rock. But just also it has this, you know, the crowd can't believe what they're seeing. And the crowd make it so much worth it. It's just, you can't not have a big goofy grin on your face if you grew up at any point loving 
pro wrestling because of either Hulk Hogan or The Rock. Yeah, that's true. I'm going to keep with the fast-paced fun motif with my final honourable mention. I'm going to go Halloween Havoc, Mysterio Guerrero. Okay. Yes, very interesting choice. A lot of speed, a lot of colour. Uh, with Ray's outfit especially. Ray is just a baby, like, he's like one of the purest baby faces you'll get. So you don't really, I mean, Guerrero is a, a well-defined heel, but... He gets to be the Lesnar in that match. <laughs> yeah. You don't really, again, you don't really need a video package. It's sort of very apparent. Ray Mysterio, you can tell, will be someone that would capture people's imagination who'd never watched wrestling before. Yes. He's got that, oh, look at him thing about him. So, just out of curiosity before we go into them, is the one that you're recommending the one that you recommended, or have you changed your mind since then? The one that I mentioned in the tweet, the misspelt one. It's not the misspelt one. It's no. not It's not Punk C. Yeah, I decided not to do that because as when you mentioned I had already done it, I, 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 t- I did take that off the list. I called an audible. Okay, so I'm going to give mine first then. And it was the one that I did recommend in the tweet, ultimately, because I think it's as palatable, as recognisable a format as it could be. Simplistic wrestling that still looks good to this day because the fundamentals are so sound, and it involves my favourite wrestler of all time. It's Bret Hart versus Owen Hart at WrestleMania 10. I I knew it in my gut. There are fewer stories you can convey more easily than a jealous younger sibling lashing out at an older sibling. They play that story well. Again, you didn't. You don't need to show any angles really in the build-up. The WWF have always been good at doing these little summary videos. So, I'll, you know, there's probably one of those on the pre-WrestleMania countdown with Todd Pettengill that will sum it all up. But I don't think you'd even need to see that. It also has limb work. It has fun near falls towards the end. Owen's fantastic as the sniveling little shit kid heel. And it ends with a... With the babyface not winning, which I think is an important thing you need to convey to someone that knows nothing about wrestling. That the good guys will not always win in the world of wrestling. Sometimes the bad guys get it. Especially if you're showing that to an older British person who got to the Big Daddy wins lol phase of like world of sport. Yeah, but to be fair, Big Daddy lost to guys like Kendo Nagasaki. So, you know, if if that was what they'd watched, then they would maybe be aware of that. Yeah. So that was my choice. Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania 10. Simon, what was your choice? Okay, mine also relies on a very easy human emotion slash experience to convey. I've gone Young Bucks versus Page and Omega because Hangman Page feeling insecure, everyone has felt insecure. So I would use the pre-match package for that. Although he's not so insecure during the match, is he? He's just kind of pissed off from my memory. But the anger comes, stems from him thinking they're trying to, like, snuff out his, like, light as he starts to get it going, basically. Okay. Yeah, it's very interesting. And we've all, thought, we've all, we've all come across, like, someone either at school or at work who's just like, oh, they, they just don't... Whenever I do something good, they just want to, like... If I've been to Tenerife, they go to Elevenerife. They they just want to do more or better, or you know, what I mean, like, just, just try not usurp my success all the time. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from, and obviously in this podcast, you have to suffer from that every time. <laughs> but yeah, I can understand. I guess it's a good one as well to get someone into modern wrestling. If they're just going to watch wrestling on a weekly basis, then yeah, that would be one of the matches to show them. 
So we've got some more subcategories after this. And the first one we're going to do is we're going to do Golden Age of Wrestling. 1980s, 1990s. So maybe this is someone who's watched a bit of WWE Raw or AEW or whatever. And maybe their dad had walked in and said, oh, it was better back in my day. You know, like my cousin when he'll turn Oasis up on the radio. (laughs) But they're not just going to dismiss it. They are curious. You know, when I was 18, 19, I didn't care about just about knowing what was good in 2002. I got like a book of the 1,000 greatest albums of all time and I was going through them trying to get into stuff, trying to get into jazz, trying to get into psychedelic rock, prog rock. You know, I was always listening to the Beatles from an early age. Yeah. So say they are curious. They want to know stuff about this 80s, 90s golden period of wrestling, the WWF and maybe WCW, NWA, if you want to go down that path. Mm-hmm. Again, I've got three honourable mentions and one final answer. Simon, what have you got on the honourable mentions to answer front? So I have three honourable mentions and one ultimate. Not ultimate, but one final answer. Okay, let's have your first honourable mention. Okay, this isn't to diminish it at all. So if I'm not doing these in like rank, getting this out of the way purely because you've already mentioned it. I had Brett Owen. Ah, okay. I, I would like to just ape what you said. Very easy story to tell. Very good match to watch. And because a lot of people think it's just like flashy characters and like no substance. I think that's something that some people think when they think 80s and 90s who weren't going through it. And I think this match is a great way of going, no, that's not what it was. <laughs> yeah. I, I would argue as to whether it counts as golden age if 94 sort of already when it's starting to wane. And it's before it's like the lull in between. It's on the edge. But it's older. Yeah. It's yeah. older. It's you know, it's over thirty it's not quite over thirty years older, but it's getting there. So I'm gonna give my one WCW NWA suggestion. I don't even have a date next to it. But I've always thought one of the easiest ways to convey a part of wrestling as well is through tag team wrestling. It, you can best understand the psychology of it and everything. So with that in mind, I'm going for a WCW tag team match. I was originally going to go with the Midnight Express versus Rock and Roll Express or Midnight Express versus the Fantastics, but I've actually decided to specifically go for Ricky Steamboat debut match when he came back into WCW in 1991 as Dustin Rhodes' mystery tag team partner against Arn Anderson and Larry Zbysko of the Enforcers. Okay. Just good-fashioned tag team wrestling yes okay okay i like it yeah i've personally not seen that much but i understand it wouldn't be my first choice but maybe if they wanted to know about old wcw maybe that would be what i would go for although if they're saying old wcw i'd assume there's a bit more knowledge or or curiosity so because another one i was thinking about was the sting and lex luger versus the steiner brothers match potentially yeah but that's a bit more babyface v babyface power moves and everything that was almost like the equivalent of a spot fest in 91, and that's the opposite of what 80s Golden Age wrestling was supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. I will next go for Flair versus Steamboat. Their third five-star encounter? The one at WrestleWar 89. That's the one. The one that like is often cited as like the Citizen Kane of pro wrestling. Yes. Like Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair 
transcends professional wrestling. The man has an exuberant noise attached to him. So many rappers talk about that Ric Flair drip. He, he, he is an icon. People who will have heard just vague things about wrestling will have heard of Ric Flair. Especially more so now, weirdly. Yes, because of the rap stuff. And again, easily definable characters. Ricky Steamboat is as babyface as babyface comes. And Ric Flair is the dirtiest player in the game. I was super tempted to go with the first Ric Flair match that I saw. Because it was a good introduction to him. And it was also, especially if the person I'm talking to is British. Because it happened at the Royal Albert Hall. at The big show they held there in around September of 1991. Which was him against Tito Santana. Oh, okay. It was essentially Ric Flair doing the classic... Ric Flair formula match, but it's only like 12, 15 minutes long or so. And in front of a fun British crowd as well, seeing in the, you know, the place you think of for the last night of the proms. Yeah. Not, you know, not Legion of Doom. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a, of a pun there that I can't think of right now, right off the top of my head. But that's that wasn't one I included. Okay. So the rest of my ones are WWF picks again. And I want to convey the colourful nature of it and the characters and so this is an odd one but this is one that I've wanted to do for match of the week as well and I don't even think it's a great match but again as much as anything you're trying to get over the presentation the colour, the kitsch the the, the campy fun of late 80s early 90s wrestling and also because it has these layers and chapters and as I was saying the thing about the WWF back then is they kind of saw their cast as like the Muppets, this wacky ensemble of colourful characters so with that in mind, I've gone with a match from the 1990 Survivor Series. It's a Survivor Series elimination match, eight-man elimination match, between the dream team of Dusty Rhodes, Coco Beware and the Heart Foundation, against the million-dollar team of Ted DiBiase, the Honky Tonk Man and Greg Valentine Rhythm and Blues, and making his debut, The Undertaker. Oh, so there you've got these colourful characters. You are in to understand what elimination rules are, but they're pretty easy to catch, pick up on. And then it has a fantastic finishing sequence with Bret Hart against the Million Dollar Man for like the last three or four minutes after you've established all these characters and the colours and the spectacle of it. So I just thought, again, someone who got into it... Well, They'll probably know of The Undertaker, especially if they watch wrestling now. They'll have probably seen clips of The Undertaker, and it's like, well, this is where he came from. This is his debut. This is like yeah. seeing, this is like seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Like this is where it all began, <laughs> as far as an American would go. Obviously, mm. the Beatles it would be the Cavern Club or Love Me Do or something. Got you. Okay. I didn't think you'd pick that if I was like trying to preempt your picks, but I, I, I respect the pick. I understand where you're coming from. My next one, because. Oh, I think a misnomer, one that I, I I used to hold, and maybe I'm projecting it on other people, maybe other people do hold it, is that there wasn't, like, a lot of gore or, like, blood and guts in, like, the flat, especially not the early, like, 90s flashy WWE style, which was, like, very kid-friendly. So I wanted to show, like, something that was, like, bloody and a bit violent from that period. I've gone to back to WCW. I've gone back to Wrestle War. I've gone to 92, Sting Squadron versus the Dangerous Alliance. Just to show that there's like blood and thunder and grit amongst like the bright lights and the neon that people would associate late 80s, early 90s wrestling. It's a lot of chaos. I feel like it would almost be too, it's too unfocused, which has always been my problem with War Games anyway of that time. 
Not the best shot war games match, yeah, but they are hard to shoot, I do accept. I understand your logic in going for it, and especially it does convey colourful characters and a wild element to it, and a rabid fan base who are going crazy for everything. And it is chaos. If you're into the chaos, it's, you know, but it wouldn't be a case of it's all like this. Because you're going for the exception, whereas I would want to go as much as I can to the rule, really. What is more common? Yes. Uh, but I, if you look at like my previous pick, I went for something that wasn't like this at all, like very chaotic. I'm trying to get a good blend going. <laughs> but ultimately, they're not they're not going to see these subcategories, so it's just one match. So yeah, that's why I'm just kind of going all the ones that kind of follow the logic that I go on, but maybe have one flaw within them. And as you say, it's an honourable mention. This one I was really batting around. There's basically four matches within contention, all taking place at WrestleManias. I could have gone Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat. I could have gone Hulk at WrestleMania 3. I could have gone Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 5. And I could have really closely won with Randy Savage against the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 7. But I didn't go with any of those. I did go sort of the equivalent of Hogan Rock at WrestleMania 18. I went with Hogan Warrior at WrestleMania 6. Of course. Of course, yes. Again, maybe the two most after Ric Flair, the two most iconic figures of pro wrestling, and if you're talking about the golden age of WWF, those are the two biggest stars to come from that time. Maybe you could argue Randy Savage had more longevity than the Ultimate Warrior. But the Ultimate Warrior is also the only one that beat Hulk Hogan, you know. Yeah, I think his star shined brighter for a briefer period. And just getting that idea of it being larger-than-life superhero characters, and that is what the Hogan-Warrior match is, really. Okay, I'm glad you picked that for two reasons. One, because it's a great pick. And two, because I didn't really think of it when like putting this list together. I'll be honest, I thought you were going to go two, because that's my pick for the top one. No, no. I've, I've stuck to... Again, I think this is showing a bit of our age divide. Because uh, I've gone a little... A, a smidge later. Uh, I've gone for the Sean Razor ladder match. Again, it's that question of whether it counts as golden age or not. But I, Yeah. And again... A ladder element to it, so they've got to understand what a ladder match is, as well as the normal wrestling well, match. Well, but, it, but it's, I kind of like the whole, like, two becomes one thing, because it's easy to explain. It's like, both these guys claim to be the champion. They're going to sort it out by this person. Ha- you, li- It's literally winner takes all, because you literally have to take it. It's fairly simple to convey. It's like the Royal Rumble, which, to be honest, I, I was... I think in in terms of like to introduce people to wrestling is like a perfect device in of its own accord. It's the floor is lava, just wrestling style. Okay, now for my final pick. Now, whilst I I not criticised, but I pointed out some of the things you can have by explaining a gimmick match. This match is also a gimmick match. It kind of goes against all the rules I've said. <laughs> this match is a gimmick match. This match is a long match. But, again, my point about the 80s, 90s is the array of characters, the colourful presentation, and it, as much being about the presentation as it is the match itself, I've gone with the 1992 Royal Rumble. Ah, see, this proves my point. That I was just saying, like, the Rumble, I think Rumbles as a whole are a great way to, like, showcase wrestling. Yes, well, when the Royal Rumble's done at its best... It's as good as WWF gets for what the WWF is supposed to be, which is colourful characters, storylines, soap opera, intertwining, and getting crowd reactions and unique gimmicks. 
And that's what you're getting. And just with the 92 Rumble as well, if it's your first time watching it, you can be like, oh, I like that guy. That guy's interesting. That guy's interesting. Let's see that. Let's see that. Let's see that. And 92 is really almost the culmination of the WWF's absorption of the territories because so many of these people that were big in different areas are all coming to this one place. And, there are, you know, it's it's Ted DiBiase, the British Bulldog, Ric Flair, uh, Shawn Michaels, Tito Santana, Kerry Von Erich, the big boss man, Roddy Piper, Rick Martel, Hulk Hogan, The Undertaker, Randy Savage, Sergeant Slaughter, Colonel Mustafa the Iron Sheik, Sid Justice. And because, whilst it is long, because of the entrances coming in every two minutes, it's constantly being refreshed. Yeah. My friend who doesn't like wrestling because he finds wrestling matches boring... The Royal Rumble is basically the only thing that he can sit through, as weird as that sounds. The only thing he can sit through is the one-hour thing, because it's constantly being refreshed. And the things that he likes are the characters, the pageantry, the entrances, the spectacle, and the storylines. Well, that is what the Royal Rumble is, really, at its best. And the 92 Royal Rumble is basically the best Royal Rumble, probably. You've got Bobby Heenan in commentary as well, maybe the greatest single commentary performance of all time. And it just goes through this valley, but it's got this one constant story traveling throughout it of Ric Flair. But then you've got all these array of supporting characters and, you know, Jake the Snake Roberts as well coming in. And, you know, the dynamics when Roddy Piper comes out at the halfway point when Flair's the only one standing. And then Jake the Snake comes in. So then you've got the character dynamics of those two, those three going on. Yeah. And then Jake the Snake immediately going away and hiding as soon as Randy Savage comes out. You know, it's... If you can get the person to sit down long enough, and like I said, because it's refreshing every two minutes, that hopefully keeps their interest. I've got you. I've got you. So those were my picks. The next one we're going for is a narrower time of period of time. But goodness, you've got some choices. It's introducing someone to the Attitude Era. So this is someone whose parents are maybe a little bit older and saying, ah, it was better in my days. And there was Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and tits everywhere. (laughs) For this one, I actually have four honourable mentions, I suppose. There was one sort of sub-member, but I'll go with four honourable mentions for this one. How many have you got? I have three honourable mentions. Okay, so I'm going to go for my honourable mention of an honourable mention. In that It didn't make my shortlist of three honourable mentions. But I was very tempted to put it in there. Which is Mark Merrow and Sable against the artist formerly known as Goldust and Luna at WrestleMania oh, okay. 14. Okay. Just to let them kind of see the Sable phenomenon. Yeah. And it's just a quick match and, you know, the ludicrousness of the artist formerly known as Goldust character and Luna and just the chaos of it, the madness of it. You'll never get the context of the surprise that everyone had that Sable could, you know, in hindsight, just throw a few kicks and a powerbomb and Luna just made it look like a million bucks by running away from her the whole time. Yeah. But at the same time, it was just a hell of a spectacle. So that was my honourable mention, honourable mention. Let's have your first proper honourable mention. Okay, sort of like the whole smorgasbord thing. And I think it's a great way to see all the characters that really defined the Attitude Era in one place. I've gone for the Armageddon Hell in a Cell match. Okay, so that's Kurt Angle, The Rock, Austin, Triple H, Undertaker and Rikishi. Yes, because it's carnage. It is pure, unadulterated carnage. And you've got all of the leading lights of that golden era of wrestling in the same ring at the same time. 
with mine, I've narrowed it down even more. There's mine pretty much all, yeah, they all fall with it between WrestleMania's 14 and 15 for me. Because I kind of want to hit it early, and by that point, it didn't been stamped down that much. There was still the blood and the violence, but it was sort of post. To me, Attitude Era is Austin McMahon, I suppose. And yeah. this is more defined by Austin McMahon. In fact, they're, they're pretty much, there's a very shallow pool of talent in my honorable mentions. One that also came close to being included was Ken Shamrock versus Mankind versus The Rock, a breakdown in a triple threat steel cage match, but I didn't okay. go for that one either. So I'm going to give my first of these honourable mentions, and that's Triple H versus The Rock at SummerSlam 98 in a ladder ah, match. Ah, that is a really good match. Because WF Attitude Era is so chaotic and it's not about traditional wrestling, I don't see any point in like trying to give them a simplistic wrestling match like Brett versus Owen or something. I'm more with you with giving them Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon. It doesn't matter if it's a ladder match. It's just WWF, it was not about the matches and, you know, pinning your opponent down for one, two, three. Yeah. It was about chaos and violence and interference and all that good stuff. And you got all that. I mean, you also got some good psychology within the match of The Rock targeting Triple H's knee. Mm. And, you know, it's in Madison Square Garden, good crowd. You got China there as well. It would always be, it would be intriguing to someone who's just watching it for the first time. Yeah. And again, The Rock helps someone that they'll see early in their run. And again, like I say, ladder matches are simple. It's like, this man has to get this thing. For your second uh, honourable mention, Simon, what have you got? Sticking with ladders, I'm going to add tables and chairs to the equation. It's got to be TLC. Which one? They're all really good. Gun to my head. Uh, What's the... Is it X... Is it WrestleMania 17, the second one? Yes, TLC2 is WrestleMania 17, where Rhino and Leeds and Spike Dudley get involved that as well. One. Where Edge spears Jeff Hardy off the stand. I will say that's always been my least favourite of that sort of loose trilogy, if we also include the WrestleMania 16 triangle ladder match that then incorporated tables and chairs and over chairs time. chairs and whatnot, yeah. Which I would recommend over that as well, because it, it's like this gradual upping of the ante over the course of the match. Yeah. Because I also didn't think it worked in that stadium. You didn't quite get the crowd reaction as much. It was sort of going up. So you never got as loud a pop as I feel like you should have got. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a large bowl, yeah. Yeah. But it's the one that people talk about the most. And it was one that actually we discussed previously in an alternative five-star Yeah, during our five-star project. I mean, I would probably actually, before either of those, go with just the simple Dudley Boys, Hardy Boys table match of 2000 Royal Rumble. Mm. Because so, that's just like 10, 12, 10, 11 minutes. And again, just like easing them into the chaos, I suppose. Okay. This shortlist could have been made entirely of Mick Foley matches, I feel. Because maybe Mick Foley best represents weapons and chaos and insanity, and that was what so yeah. much of the Attitude Era was. I could have gone with Triple H versus... Cactus Jack at the 2000 Royal Rumble and then I would have included the angle of Mankind taking the mask off and revealing Cactus Jack but again to a newbie that doesn't mean anything you need to know the history of Cactus Jack over time and everything yeah yeah so I didn't go with that I went with The Rock versus Mankind but I'm not going for the one you're expecting which would be the Royal Rumble I quit match Mm. I actually think that might be a one step too far with the violence. Okay. So instead, for the lunacy of the Attitude Era, and again, the uniqueness of it, I've gone for the Halftime Heat Empire. Oh! Yes! Yes! Great shout. You also get The Rock, really, at his most charismatic and 
you know, like commentating throughout the entire match. Like, yeah, he has he like has like a salsa dip whilst he's, <laughs> whilst he's beating up mankind, and he just goes, "It's mild, you piece of shit." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you've got that famous camera angle of uh, yes, when the forklift yes. goes down. You're showing a four guy's point of view. <laughs> yeah. So that was my other uh, honourable mention. Uh, Simon, what's your second honourable mention? Second? Uh, this would be my third honourable Third, yeah, yeah sorry. third honourable mention, apologies. It is. It's so famous. and it, 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 I guess a lot of people will probably predict it as a bit Billy Basic, but I can't not say it. It's Bret Hart, Steve Austin. Ah, okay. Yes. Birth of the rattlesnake. Again, I get because I was so focused on it sort of being the the Austin McMahon period. I didn't even think to include that. Yeah. That's crazy considering it's Bret Hart. So yeah. I guess I should have done that. Probably that's probably my biggest regret of not including it. But I'm still happy with the one I've gone for. Okay. And okay. Uh, my other honorable mention because I do, as I've said, I think the definition of the Attitude Era is Austin McMahon. So my last honourable mention is the Austin McMahon match at St. Valentine's Day Massacre in the Steel the cage. cage. That is the cage, yes. right. Where Austin hits Vince in the cage, he flies off and basically lands on the edge of the announce table. Yeah, <laughs> oh god, he could not bump, could he? <laughs> and you also get the big show appearing from under the ring at the end and yeah. throwing Austin into the cage and the cage breaking and that's how Austin wins. Just these ridiculous finishes and everything. Would you have for that as like a pre-match package? I, you probably wouldn't, but I just want to like give it its own little shout out. The one where Shane's like his trainer. Yeah, maybe. Although that was for the 99 Royal Rumble. Ah. Uh... And obviously, as I'm saying, it's all about the characters, but the 99 Royal Rumble is essentially two fun bookends of Austin McMahon and a lot of filler in between. There's yeah. a good bit where Kane is being wheeled away by the people with like a, a straight jackets, but... Other than that, the rumble itself is just it's just time wasting. So you can't give him an hour of that. I was again like I, the best Royal Rumble of that time period is the two thousand and one one with Kane, obviously. But, just uh, destroying people. <laughs> yeah. So those were all of my honorable mentions and your honorable mentions, Simon. As I've said, I think your Austin your Austin Brett one made me reconsider, but I'm happy with where I've gone. Yeah, that'll be one to follow it up with. What is your definitive pick then? Uh, I've had to go for the... I take your point that the Attitude Era is Austin McMahon. But in terms of stars that I think people are more likely to like know, uh, I've gone for Austin Rock, WrestleMania 17. Two biggest, brightest stars of their generation with such an iconic pre-match package that perfectly explains mm. why this is happening. The only reason I wouldn't go with that is because it's literally, to me, the last match of the Attitude Era. Okay. And I wouldn't want to start with the finish. But what also amazes me in all this, and the reason I didn't even bother including it in my honourable mentions was because I was so sure you'd include it in your honourable mentions. And I think it's the match that everyone would assume. The Undertaker versus Mankind, King of the Ring, Hell in a Cell. Yes. But it's not really a match. It's two big bumps and then Undertaker hand-holding Mick Foley through a sort of semblance of a match and then thumbtacks get brought in. Yeah. And we have that to thank for every time a sack comes out every other week on AEW TV. <laughs> mm. That and the uh, 
the the poor, poor quality of the costume department. That was a terrible ball sack joke. I, I find it, yeah, I find it fascinating that neither of us have gone for it, but that's because you need someone with a bit more substance or a bit more, a bit more of what the attitude era truly was about, which was which was wacky characters and violence, but also overbooking and you know the Russo influence. And yeah. to me, this is like the peak of Russo-esque booking in a wrestling match before it went overblown. It just is the perfect sim. It's like simmered to the right temperature, but not to boil. Mm. And it's the one that always gets forgotten because of the subsequent Mick Foley Undertaker match a month later. I've gone for Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Dude Love at Over the Edge '98. Okay, with Vince McMahon as the referee. Pat Patson as the ring announcer, Gerald Briscoe as the timekeeper. And as the match goes on, Vince keeps changing the rules, telling Pat to remind everyone that this is a no disqualification, <laughs> remind them that it's a Fool's Count Anywhere match. And it's just the perfect. And it was like before McMahon had gone so far to like cartoonishness, but it's still recognizably who he is. And, you know, he's ridiculous, like skin tight. Arms showing a referee cop out. Wasn't it sleeveless? Yes, sleeveless. Of course yeah. it's sleeveless. And you also have The Undertaker as the ringside enforcer who ends up putting Patterson and Briscoe. You know, seeing two elderly gentlemen get thrown through a table, chokes under the <laughs> table towards the end. Austin winning it by just grabbing McMahon's lifeless body and using him to count the three. Yes. <laughs> And that oh. has one of my favorite pre-match promos as well, where they're juxtaposing Vince McMahon against images of like Mussolini and other sort of dictators. <laughs> I didn't know about that. I knew about the match, but I didn't know about that. That's def- That's another one that I've got on my match of the week long list that we're going to have to do at some point. Okay, cool. So we've gone down that nostalgic end. Now we're going to the modern era. And we're going outside the WWF, which has been obviously the vast majority of my recommendations so far. How would we introduce AEW to someone? Maybe someone that's watched a bit of WWE to try and get into wrestling, and they just don't like what their product is. Or maybe someone that used to watch WWE back in the day, and AEW is piquing their interest because they're doing things, you're hearing things from guys, other friends that used to watch wrestling, stopped watching it, and now they're saying, oh, AEW's brought me back into it. So just those sort of people... I've got three honourable mentions and a definitive one. Simon, what have you got? I have three honourable mentions and a definitive one. Okay. Are we repeating ourselves at any point? I'm repeating myself a bit. I could have. I have uh, I have audibled and taken out the repeat. Okay, so what was the repeat that you had? The repeat was uh, Young Bucks versus Page and Omega. Okay. But I have audibled myself and took that out. Well, I'll start off with mine then, which is Punk versus Kingston as an honourable mention again. I do love it, but I don't actually think that they're necessarily indicative of what AEW is in general. Mm. Because they stood out as a bit unique on that card. But I want to try and give them an idea of what AEW is about, and that match is not necessarily as much what it's about. Like, what's a standard AEW match? And there yeah. are standard AEW matches. And maybe that's why I love that match so much, because it did stick out from the norm. But yeah, that's not, still an honourable mention. It's not a definitive pick. Okay. Uh, my first honourable mention is... I can't remember what the official term for it is, but the parking lot match? 
okay, the best friends against Santana and Ortiz. Yes. Very simple story, uh, and I would use the pre-match angle of like them trashing Sue's uh, minivan. Yeah, just don't, don't fuck with someone's mum, <laughs> basically. It's nice and short as well, I think. It's yeah, like it's short. Minutes. It is. There is carnage. There is like a funny spot with Orange Cassidy. Blood. Just silliness. And silliness at the end. Like, it's just a good blend because I, I feel it encapsulates that AEW takes itself seriously, but doesn't take itself too seriously sometimes. You know what, I've actually eliminated my Punk Kingston because I have used it already. And I'm replacing that one with Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. Oh, I don't have it on my list because I kind of thought you would, so I took a gamble there. Yeah, I, again, I don't like using gimmick matches so much as best as I can, but this match basically happens on AEW once a month. And this is probably the best one of those of that match. Yeah, well, I won't go far as once a month, but they they do do it. Uh, that, well, because that was a specific lights out one, but I know I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You know, there's the table spot, there's the thumbtack spot, there's the blood, there's the, the standard stuff. Yeah, that that can get a little laboured. I did have the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros in a steel cage match, but I'm so certain you're going to have that that I got rid of it. And so what I've replaced that with... And also, I didn't really want to include that match anyway. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I do like it. Instead, because I want to get across the characters and the weird mishmash of comedy but seriousness at the same time, I thought the best way to represent that is the Orange Cassidy versus Pac match. You know, where Orange Cassidy rolls from one way to the other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, And it shows, like, Orange Cassidy as, like, a character that that perfectly encapsulates that he doesn't take himself seriously but he is a serious guy when he needs to be if you're not enjoying orange cassidy you've got puck there doing the cool moves and also being super serious yeah and so they can be like well i'm not gonna watch that guy but this guy intrigues me ah you found a good foil for him i respect Mm. that yeah you are right i do have young bucks versus lucha bros in the cage (laughs) uh like again can't like fun Carnage, Ray Phoenix is it transcends the realm of like gravity, um, like pageantry with the entrances. You, you've got interference, but not interference with one of the greatest like underarm throws of a bag I've ever seen in my life from Brandon Cutler. Silliness, who has a thumbtack shoe? Like seriousness in like someone wanting to protect their younger brother, which commentary does convey so he can get away with not having a pre-match angle for. It's just, I love it. I, it's just silly. It's just good, fast-paced fun. Okay. The reason I'm going with this one as my last honourable mention is because I really love the match. It was better than I expected it to be. And it is a sign of where they're going to go in the future. And it is just a straightforward, almost like a great opening late 80s, early 90s NWA, WCW pay-per-view and so much of AEW does feel like if WCW had kept existing for 20 years, this is close to what it would have been like. And again, so if someone's coming in who used to watch Nitro or whatever when they were, you know, they're giving you that, I've gone for the recent opening match with Darby Allen against MJF. Oh, that's a good one. And also include the pre-promo where he says he could beat Darby with a headlock takeover. And then Darby comes out and fights him and just does the sprint from the one end of, to the other. 
Yes. Oh. Just getting across the velocity that Darby Allen can bring in. Yeah. <laughs> can go can go at. And so that's the last of my honorable mentions. Okay. Have you got any more honorable mentions or are you on to your No, I have one more honorable mention. And I undernard about whether or not to include this. Especially because there's only a specific reason it exists, really. But I'm gonna go for Stadium Stampede one. See, I would go with that if I was to do cinematic wrestling. Yeah. But I don't feel comfortable going with a cinematic match, personally. Yeah. No, yeah. And again, I I, I know, because I, I went back and forth with this one, but what I think it does is convey a lot, conveys a lot of who's who in AEW. And again, there's like fun moments. There's also like serious moments. You do get a couple of little callbacks that may not land. But it's different. It's different to what people would expect wrestling to be as well. So it stands out. Yeah. So I haven't included either of the two Brian Danielson matches that are obvious to include. Which are his match against Kenny Omega and his match against Hangman Page, the 60 minute one. Even though, and I do, I'm pretty, I'm like 99% sure... I think that that hangman, that first hangman match is probably the best match in AEW's history so far. It's either that or the one that I've gone for as my final actual choice. But I do think 30 minutes and 60 minutes is just a bit too much for some. Okay. Although, to be fair, this match might be longer than 30 minutes. But it's one you've already said. It's Hangman Page and Kenny Omega against the Young Bucks at Revolution. Simplish enough story. Four people with no history in WWE. So they've got that going for them as well. So you're watching this, if you're coming in from WWE, where you're like, well, these are people that you haven't seen before. Or if you're coming in like, I'm not really into WWE. You're like, well, these guys aren't cast-offs. <laughs> they aren't tarred. They've never had to go through hip-toss class or whatever it is that they're... Exactly. Going to the, what's the insult du jour of a man who I already just mocked his promo and now I'm actually quoting from it. So, there <laughs> And what have you gone for, Simon? I went for Young Bucks versus FTR. Yeah, I was tempted. The reason I didn't go with that was because it wasn't in front of a proper crowd. Yeah. Well, I guess Baker and Rosa wasn't either, so. No, no. That was marked against it. Uh, but if you want to see what, tag team wrestling looks like in terms of like the whole story is like who is the better unit and it's one guy who deviates slightly from what they are as a team that costs them so it's it's like it's a it's a match about identity and teamwork all the historical illusions you don't think might be a bit much for someone if this is like their first you know all the finisher tag team moves and not knowing what that's a reference to and also just the fact that there are a couple of blown spots in there. There's one in particular where, you know, Matt Jackson's moon salt to nothing. Yeah. That was one of the things that marked me down from giving it five stars myself when we did it on the five star. I think the nods to the past is something that's just like an extra layer for those who do know. I don't think it diminishes to those who don't. I think you can get away with that. The blown spots, yeah, I, I take your point, but... In terms of like how it tells the story of, like I say, teamwork, identity, and the need to be the best, it's like it's got three simple strands that that are easy to plug into. Okay, 
I'm, I assume, though, if you were to properly do it and you hadn't disqualified it because you picked it earlier, you would have gone with Page and Hangman. I would have, yes, yes. So we'll fit this last one in now, which is an introduction to modern Japanese wrestling, but I'll be honest, I might as well make this a subcategory of an introduction to New Japan Pro Wrestling of the 2010s. We don't know enough about No. We don't know enough about AJPW. We don't know enough about DDT. If I'd known enough about Joshi, I would have been very keen to include, like, you know, a Kairi Hojo or a, a Miko Satomura or, you know, a Kana, a, an, an Io Shirai or many other great Joshi wrestlers that are still operating that we I just don't know enough of at this time. Yeah. So these are just these are all just New Japan picks that I've gone with. I've got four honorable mentions for this one. How about you, Simon? I just have the basic three. Okay, so I'll go with my first one, which is Shibata against Ishii, the eleven-minute punch and kick and chop and forearm festival. I think Jim Smallman said it was like his favorite match or his second favorite match, and the one that you would show someone to see if they like wrestling. Yeah. I think because even within New Japan, it's a bit of an outlier. It doesn't necessarily give you a sense of what the New Japan style is, and even necessarily, or it's just like one aspect of the New Japan style, the no-selling, uh, strong-style chop chop exchanges. So it's only going to be the least honourable of honourable mentions for that. So have you got your first honourable mention? Well, I've got a sub-honourable mention first, because I've already mentioned it. So if I hadn't have already mentioned it, and I am trying to keep the same rules throughout all the categories... I would have included the Kota Ibushi versus Jay White match in this. But obviously I can't. My first honourable mention, and I tried to decide which one of the ones of the series it was going to be. I think I've made the right choice for a newcomer. I've gone for the Omega versus Okada G1 match. That's also one of my honourable mentions. We might have a bit more of an overlap with this one. The reason I went with that one is, again, I've, as I've said constantly, I've tried to go for relatively shorter matches. Yeah. And so because of that, I've been somewhat limited with my Okada choices as well <laughs> as the <laughs> results. But it's done within the confines of the 30-minute. You kind of do... It would help if you knew the two previous matches, but it's done at a sprint, and the key story in it going in is that Omega doesn't have a win over Okada, but Okada is walking wounded. He's got a really bad neck injury. You got that with the tape on him. And Omega senses his opening. Yeah. I next have another Kenny Omega G1 Climax match. It's from the year before. It's the block final he has with Tetsuya Naito. From 2016. That is That was the match that really got me to fall in love with modern New Japan. Watching that match was. And I just love the Naito character so much. and He is class. Yeah. And this heel versus heel. I, I, when I rewatched it, I was like, they didn't need to spit at each other that much. But just... <laughs> That was definitely pre-COVID. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was another honourable mention. How about you, Simon? Uh, I am going to stick with Tetsuya Naito. I'm going to go for his... No, no, I'm not. I'm going to go for his stable mate. Hiromu Takahashi taking on Will Ospreay. Which one? The the recent Wrestle Kingdom one where he beat him with his... The Wrestle Kingdom one. Yes. With Time Bomb 2.0. Yeah. Yeah, where Ospreay's final match in in the juniors, essentially. Yes, yes. I haven't gone for any junior stuff. I was tempted. But there was just the the classic lot. 
the the top heavyweight guys just intrigued me more. I didn't really want to do any Will Ospreay. I don't know why. I just didn't. Yeah, you could have done, done Osprey Ricochet, obviously, and and or Osprey Takagi at the best of the Super Juniors final, maybe. Yeah, no, I, I respect that. I I just wanted to have a little bit of a blend because a lot of my guys are big beefy boys themselves. I have got one Okada Tanahashi, and it's this honourable mention. I can't remember the date of it specifically off the top of my head. I think it might have been Wrestling Attack. It's the one where Tanahashi's just going after Okada's arm for the whole match, essentially. Oh, okay. I think it was the last... It was Tanahashi saying he wouldn't challenge again if he didn't defeat Okada for the title. So I think it's around that time. People listening will know what I'm talking about. Tanahashi tries to destroy Okada's arm for a match. That's essentially the story of it. So that was my honourable mention. That was my one Okada-Tanahashi match. Lovely. I'm going now for Tomohiro Ishii versus Shingo Takagi in the G1. Okay. We- the I think one of the one I think it got five stars. The one that got five stars it might be more. Than was it the quite recent stars, one? The, yes, yes. Long time listeners of the show will know I have a soft spot for Tomohiro Ishii. He's very much the modern day Masanobu Fushi in terms of being my boy, but. He's the very opposite of Masanobu Fushi and um, how he wrestles. It's just two men wailing on each other. And there's like, there's a grit to it. Not quite Shibata level grit. But just the two of them just trying to like outlast the other. It's, it's, it's attritional. It's trench warfare. It's not like fancy flying, technical stuff. It is just two big juggernauts smashing into each other. So we're on to our final recommendation, our definitive one, the one that we would give someone to watch. And I'm opening with what was our opening into this time of New Japan, the first one of this period to get them out to five stars. And boy, was he off to the races after that. It's a match that's really grown in my love since we did it for the Melts Five Star Project, and I didn't include it, I think, towards the end of my top ten, and I, I ultimately regret it because it might be my favourite. It's Hiroshi Tanahashi defending the IWGP Heavyweight Championship against Minoru Suzuki, and they're just—it's limb attacks, it's submission holds. There is literally one pin in the whole match, and it's the pin that wins it. Ah yes, yes, I do remember this match. It is very, it is a very good match, and because obviously we're talking explicitly about Japanese wrestling, it serves as a great example about how it differs from the North American style. Yeah, but also two clearly well-established characters that you can understand from a Western audience: the moody badass, take no prisoners, nasty heel against the rock and roll star heartthrob baby face weird sexy middle-aged god of a man there's nothing weird about it simon nothing weird (laughs) at all it's perfectly natural to find him sexy (laughs) okay and what's yours you're the last recommendation we have for this episode okay it doesn't make sense on first glance potentially when you consider the arc of everything and I know you've already pointed out that I've started at the end in like a different category. But I'm going to go for Tetsuya Naito's uh, title win. The World Heavyweight title win at the Wrestle Kingdom. Yes. Just because I think that was a really good match. And it it shows, I think, 
just the charisma of him as a character because I knew about the tail end of the art. I, I, I joined in to really like the New Japan story and I learned a lot of the arc retroactively. But I was just in it just to see Naito like win because I, I, I'm drawn to the man. I think mm. he's got that thing about him. And I, I do yeah. accept my like New Japan. It's like watching. It's like the first film you watch of Lord of the Rings being Return of the King. Yeah, yeah, I, I like, accept I, that. You, you literally just watch the last hour. Yeah. <laughs> but like, if you do that through Titanic, it's a very different movie. For example, and I, it's I do take the point, and I know, I know that's a drawback in in me picking it. But in terms of like just the charisma of Tetsuya Naito, I think that's a really good example of it, and I think that's a really good. It's a really good way to convey the journey that Japanese wrestlers go through compared to North American wrestlers. Yeah, but you want to show them the journey. See, I think if if I were to make a suggestion, you want to show a match of Naito winning something and ending a particular chapter of his story, but maybe not the final chapter. I would suggest the G1 Climax finally wins over Kenny Omega at G1 17 because then he loses to Okada and he's got to go back to where he started. Okay. But you do see the end of a certain arc that he'd had with his previous G1 Climax win, where he won the G1 but didn't get the main event, but now he does. And like at the end of it, he repeats himself, the true star of New Japan is me. Back then it didn't make sense, now it does. That would be like okay, my advice for your pick. But it is funny that it would be like, if they listen to my pick and then your pick... You got like the end, the start and the end almost of the golden age. Yeah. Although obviously you could argue that the golden age started before them with like the the first Okada Tanahashi match as well, maybe uh, where Okada won the title, which had been a, like eight months earlier. Hello, listeners. This is Lorcan talking. After we'd finished our recording, we'll go back to the outros of that soon. But after we'd finished, we thought it probably best to provide you with a quick summary of the definitive picks we went for because with all the back and forth and the honourable mentions and the general free-flowing discussion we thought it'd be very easy for you to lose track of the actual definitive picks we've made for each of those categories. So Simon has recorded his five matches that he recommended for the five categories and you'll get to hear that recording after I finish this one. So I'm just going back over my picks for the five categories Introducing someone to pro wrestling, introducing someone to the 80s, early 90s, golden age, we've called it for the sake of this episode of wrestling. Introducing someone to the Attitude Era, introducing someone to AEW, and introducing someone to modern 2010s and 2020 New Japan. So, for the introduction to wrestling, my definitive pick was Bret Hart versus Owen Hart in the opening match of WrestleMania 10. To introduce someone to the 80s, 90s golden age of wrestling, I went for the 1992 Royal Rumble match. To introduce someone to the Attitude Era, I picked Stone Cold Steve Austin defending the WWF Championship against Dude Love at Over the Edge 1998 with Vince McMahon as the guest referee, Pat Patterson as the guest ring announcer, and Gerald Briscoe as the timekeeper. And evening up the odds a bit, The Undertaker is the ringside enforcer. For introducing someone to AEW, I picked the AEW World Tag Team Championship match at Revolution 2020 between challengers The Young Bucks and defending champions Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page. And finally, my pick for introducing someone to 2010s, 2020s New Japan Pro Wrestling 
was the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. I think I accidentally said that it was for the anniversary show, the 40th anniversary show. And it wasn't. It took place during the 40th anniversary. It was the 2012 King of Pro Wrestling show in October of that year. So those were my picks. And now I'm going to tag out to Simon so that he can give you his picks. And my picks were, if I was to introduce someone to wrestling in general, I would select the Young Bucks taking on Hangman Page and Kenny Omega at Revolution in 2020. If I was to introduce someone to the golden age of professional wrestling, I would pick the ladder match between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels. If I was going to introduce someone to the Attitude Era, I would go for The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 17. If I was to introduce someone to AEW, I would select The Young Bucks taking on FTR at Full Gear 2020. And if I was to introduce someone to New Japan, I would select Kazuchika Okada versus Tetsuya Naito at Wrestle Kingdom 14. But yeah, we talked about a lot of wrestling. I enjoyed this, actually. I thought this was fun. Yeah, this was fun. We'll do this again, definitely, because we've got we've already got five other categories, one of which we were disputing about. We'll figure it out. But this is definitely one where we could get the interactive element from it. So we take these categories... Introducing someone to wrestling, introducing someone to the golden age of WWF, WCW wrestling, 80s, early 90s wrestling, introducing someone to the Attitude Era, introducing someone to AEW, introducing someone to modern wrestling slash modern Japanese wrestling slash New Japan Pro Wrestling. If Mm. you have other suggestions, other recommendations, stuff you may, especially with the Japanese stuff, there are lots of people out there that know a lot more than we do. One of the other ones we want to do when we do the follow-up is getting someone into 90s All Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah. But we just don't have enough time to do this. Otherwise, that this episode would be super long. Why not come back for more of this later on? Because, as I've said, this has been a lot of fun. Indeed, indeed. And I'm sure there's something I'm missing. Like we've, It's somewhere in these categories. There's, there's, there's a bot, there is a blind spot. Well, it seems like after every suggestion I made, you were almost like, ah! <laughs> a few of them, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. But that, that's how it is with lists. You, I think when your brain like goes, okay, boil these down to these four choices, your brain immediately like forgets 30% of the options. I was making some late changes along the way as well. I, I forgot to say another sort of sub the, with the 92 Rumble. The other Rumble that was in my mind for an introduction to WF Wrestling was the 90 Royal Rumble. Oh, okay. Which I think is a very underrated Royal Rumble. And that also had the setup to Hogan and Warrior interacting with each other. Oh, okay. I, I, was, I was talking, to, I, was recommend, I was actually recommending Rumbles to a friend the other day. And off the top of my head, like, I had the four, like, gold standard ones, which are. 1992, 2001, and 2010. And cool. if you can stand to see Chris Benoit, <laughs> the whole thing, 2004 as well. But again, that's that's an art versus artist thing, isn't it? Yeah, coming from the guy that recommended the first recommendation of the show was fucking <laughs> David Starr versus Jordan Devlin. Well, I pinned my course to the mass about separation of art and artist there, didn't I? Yeah, you pinned something. Anyway... Simon, if people want to give you some recommendations based on your recommendations or improvements on your recommendations or categories for future recommendations they'd like from us, how can they do so? They can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of times, probably per category. Where I went, oh, yeah, that is a good, that is a good pick. 
My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A at the start of Anthony Fantano. N for the N at the end of Barry Norman. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put putting at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lntyspod at gmail.com. lntyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. If you want to throw a few pennies our way because we gave you such wonderful gold standard advice... Maybe some gold coins our way. You can do so by going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash lmtyspod. Next week, we are going back to our Match of the Week recommendations, aren't we, Simon? Oh, yes, we are. We're going back to the UK. We're going back to World of Sports. But my goodness, when you talk about state-of-the-art action that's influential and seeing a star at the start of their rise in the business... You can't get much more effective than this. It's Mark Rollable Rocco facing off against Fuji Yamada, later to be known by his better known name and masked guise as Jushin Thunder Liger. Yeah, baby. I think it's for the middle heavyweight, or they had weird belt names back then. Oh. <laughs> and that match takes place in Catford, I believe. On the 28th of April, 1987. Ooh. This will be fun to talk about. Get some future Jushin Liger against the past and the present, I suppose, of the times. Black Tiger. Yes. Name in New Japan. But there's nothing to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Muller. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time. Until the next time. I feel kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh, Ruling the Nation. kind of a new record. Excuse very, me, I was in In a minute, time. very nice, Rob. A sly declaration of new classic status slipped into a list of old safe ones. Very pussy. Excuse me, I was in, uh, in a minute. Couldn't you be any more obvious than that, Rob? How about, uh, I don't know, the Beatles? How about fucking, fucking Beethoven? Track one, side one of the Fifth Symphony. How can someone who has no interest in music own a record store?